Section 16 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of the Famous Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. About the year, I began to see the bottom of my stock, and that it was time to think of further adventures for my spoilers, as I call them, began to let me know that, as my money declined, their respect would ebb with it, and that I had nothing to expect of them further than as I might command it by the force of my money, which, in short, would not go an inch the further for all that had been spent in their favour before. This shocked me very much, and I conceived a just abhorrence of their ingratitude but it wore off, nor had I met with any regret at the wasting so glorious a sum of money as I brought to England with me. I next shipped myself, in an evil hour, to be sure, on a voyage to Cadiz, in the ship called Blank, and in the course of our voyage, being on the coast of Spain, was obliged to put in at Groin, by a strong southwest wind. Here I fell into company with some masters of mischief, and among them one, forwarder than the rest, began an intimate confidence with me, so that we called one another brothers, and communicated all our circumstances to one another. His name was Harris. This fellow came to me one morning, asking me if I would go on shore and I agreed. So we got the captain's leave for the boat, and went together. When we were together, he asked me if I had a mind for an adventure that might make amends for all past misfortunes. I told him, yes, with all my heart, for I did not care where I went, having nothing to lose, and no one to leave behind me. He then asked me if I would swear to be secret, and that, if I did not agree to what he proposed, I would nevertheless never betray him. I readily bound myself to that, upon the most solemn imprecations and curses that the devil and both of us could invent. He told me, then, there was a brave fellow in the other ship, pointing to another English ship which rode in the harbour, who, in concert with some of the men, had resolved to mutiny the next morning, and run away with the ship, and that if we could get strength enough among our ship's company, we might do the same. I liked the proposal very well, and he got eight of us to join with him, and he told us that as soon as his friend had begun the work, and was master of the ship, he should be ready to do the like. This was his plot, and I, without the least hesitation, either at the villainy of the fact, or the difficulty of performing it, came immediately into the wicked conspiracy. And so it went on among us, but we could not bring our part to perfection. Accordingly, on the day appointed, his correspondent in the other ship, whose name was Wilmot, began the work and 
having seized the captain's mate and other officers, secured the ship and gave the signal to us. We were but eleven in our ship who were in the conspiracy, nor could we get any more that we could trust. So that, leaving the ship, we all took the boat and went off to join the other. Having thus left the ship I was in, we were entertained with a great deal of joy by Captain Wilmot and his new gang, and being well prepared for all manner of roguery, bold, desperate, I mean myself, without the least checks of conscience for what I was entered upon, or for anything I might do, much less with any apprehension of what might be the consequence of it. I say, having thus embarked with this crew, which at last brought me to consort with the most famous pirates of the age, some of whom have ended their journals at the gallows. I think the giving an account of some of my other adventures may be an agreeable piece of story, and this I may venture to say beforehand, upon the word of a pirate, that I shall not be able to recollect the full, no, not by far, of the great variety which has formed one of the most reprobate schemes that ever man was capable to present to the world. I that was, as I have hinted before, an original thief and a pirate, even by inclination before, was now in my element, and never undertook anything in my life with more particular satisfaction. Captain Wilmot, for so we are now to call him, being thus possessed of a ship, and in the manner as you have heard, it may be easily concluded he had nothing to do to stay in the port, or to wait either the attempts that might be made from the shore, or any change that might happen among his men. On the contrary, we weighed anchor the same tide, and stood out to sea, steering away for the Canaries. Our ship had twenty-two guns, but was able to carry thirty, and besides, as she was fitted for a merchant ship only, she was not furnished either with ammunition or small arms sufficient for our design, or for the occasion we might have in case of a fight. So we put into Cadiz, that is to say, we came to an anchor in the bay, and the captain, and one whom we called young Captain Kidd, who was the gunner, landed, and some of the men who could best be trusted, among whom was my comrade Harris, who was made second mate, and myself, who was made a lieutenant. Some bales of English goods were proposed to be carried on shore with us for sale, but my comrade, who was a complete fellow at his business, proposed a better way for it, and, having been in the town before, told us, in short, that he would buy what powder and bullet, small arms, or anything else we wanted, on his own word, to be paid for when they came on board, in such English goods as we had there. This was much the best way, and accordingly he and the captain went on shore by themselves, and having made such a bargain as they found for their turn, came away again in two hours' time, and bringing only a butt of wine 
and five casts of brandy with them, we all went on board again. The next morning two barcos longos came off to us, deeply laden with five Spaniards on board them for traffic. Our captain sold them good pennyworths, and they delivered us sixteen barrels of powder, twelve small runlets of fine powder for our small arms, sixty muskets, and twelve fusees for the officers, seventeen ton of cannonball, fifteen barrels of musket bullets, with some swords and twenty good pair of pistols. Besides this, they brought thirteen butts of wine, for we, that were now all become gentlemen, scorned to drink the ship's beer, also sixteen puncheons of brandy, and twelve barrels of raisins, and twenty chests of lemons, all which we paid for in English goods, and over and above the captain received six hundred pieces of eight in money. They would have come again, but we would not stay longer. From hence we sailed to the Canaries, and from thence onward to the West Indies, where we committed some depredation among the Spaniards for provisions, and took some prizes, but none of them of any great value, while I remained with them, which was not long at that time. For having taken a Spanish sloop on the coast of Cartagena, my friend made a motion to me that we should desire Captain Wilmot to put us into the sloop, with a portion of arms and ammunition, and let us try what we could do, she being much fitter for our business than the great ship, and a better sailor. This he consented to, and we appointed our rendezvous at Tobago, making an agreement that whatever was taken by either of our ships should be shared among the ship's company of both, all which we very punctually observed, and joined our ships again about fifteen months after, at the island of Tobago, as above. We cruised near two years in these seas, chiefly upon the Spaniards, not that we made any difficulty of taking English ships, or Dutch, or French, if they came in our way, and particularly Captain Wilmot attacked a New England ship bound from the Maderas to Jamaica, and another bound from New York to Barbados, with provisions, which last was a very happy supply to us. But the reason why we meddled as little with English vessels as we could was, first, because if they were ships of any force, we were sure of more resistance from them, and, secondly, because we found the English ships had less booty when taken, for the Spaniards generally had money on board, and that was what we best knew what to do with. Captain Wilmot was indeed more particularly cruel when he took any English vessel, that they might not too soon have advice of him in England, and so the men of war have orders to look out for him. But this part I bury in silence for the present. We increased our stock in these two years considerably, having taken sixty thousand pieces of eight in one vessel, and a hundred thousand in another, and being thus first grown rich, we resolved to be strong too, 
for we had taken a brigantine built at Virginia, an excellent sea-boat, and a good sailor, and able to carry twelve guns, and a large Spanish frigate-built ship that sailed incomparably well also, and which afterwards, by the help of good carpenters, we fitted up to carry twenty-eight guns. And now we wanted more hands, so we put away for the Bay of Campeche, not doubting we should ship as many men there as we pleased, and so we did. Here we sold the sloop that I was in, and Captain Wilmot keeping his own ship, I took the command of the Spanish frigate as captain, and my comrade Harris as eldest lieutenant, and a bold enterprising fellow he was, as any the world afforded. One culverdine was put into the brigantine, so that we were now three stout ships, well manned, and victualled for twelve months, for we had taken two or three sloops from New England and New York, laden with flour, peas, and barreled beef and pork, going for Jamaica and Barbados, and for more beef we went on shore on the island of Cuba, where we killed as many black cattle as we pleased, though we had very little salt to cure them. Out of all the prizes we took here, we took their powder and bullet, their small arms and cutlasses, and as for their men, we always took the surgeon and the carpenter, as persons who were of particular use to us upon many occasions, nor were they always unwilling to go with us, though for their own security, in case of accidents, they might easily pretend they were carried away by force, by which I shall give a pleasant account in the course of my explanations. We had one very merry fellow here, a Quaker, whose name was William Walters, whom we took out of a sloop bound from Pennsylvania to Barbados. He was a surgeon, and they called him doctor, but he was not employed in the sloop as a surgeon, but was going to Barbados to get a berth, as the sailors call it. However, he had all his surgeon's chests on board, and we made him go with us, and take all his implements with him. He was a comic fellow indeed, a man of very good solid sense, and an excellent surgeon, but, what was worth all, very good-humoured and pleasant in his conversation, and a bold, stout, brave fellow, too, as any we had among us. I found William, as I thought, not very averse to go along with us, and yet resolved to do it, so that it might be apparent he was taken away by force, and to this purpose he comes to me. Friend, says he, thou sayest I must go with thee, and it is not in my power to resist thee, if I would. But I desire thou wilt oblige the master of the sloop which I am on board, to certify under his hand that I was taken away by force, and against my will. And this he said with so much satisfaction in his face, that I could not but understand him. Aye, aye, says I, whether it be against your will or no, I'll make him and all the men give you a certificate of it, or I'll take them all along with us, 
and keep them till they do. So I drew up a certificate myself, wherein I wrote that he was taken away by main force, as a prisoner, by a pirate ship, that they carried away his chest and instruments first, and then bound his hands behind him, and forced him into their boat. And this was signed by the master and all his men. Accordingly, I fell a-swearing at him, and called to my men to tie his hands behind him, and so we put him into our boat and carried him away. When I had him on board, I called him to me. Now, friend, says I, I have brought you away by force, it is true, but I am not of the opinion I have brought you away so much against your will as they imagine. Come, says I, you will be a useful man to us, and you shall have very good usage among us. So I unbound his hands, and first ordered all the things that belonged to him to be restored to him, and our captain gave him a dram. Thou hast dealt friendly by me, says he, and I will be plain with thee. Whether I came willing to thee or not, I shall make myself as useful to thee as I can. But thou knowest, it is not my business to meddle when thou art to fight. No, no, says the captain, but you may meddle a little when we share the money. Those things are useful to furnish a surgeon's chest, says William, and smiled. But I shall be moderate. In short, William was a most agreeable companion, but he had the better of us in this part, that if we were taken, we were sure to be hanged, and he was sure to escape, and he knew it well enough. But, in short, he was a sprightly fellow, and fitter to be captain than any of us. I shall have often an occasion to speak of him in the rest of the story. Our cruising so long in these seas began now to be so well known, that not in England only, but in France and Spain, accounts had been made public of our adventures, and many stories told how we murdered the people in cold blood, tying them back to back, and throwing them into the sea, one half of which, however, was not true, though more was done than is fit to speak of here. The consequence of this, however, was that several English men of war were sent to the West Indies, and were particularly instructed to cruise in the Bay of Mexico, and the Gulf of Florida, and among the Bahama Islands, if possible, to attack us. We were not so ignorant of things as not to expect this, after so long a stay in that part of the world, but the first certain account we had of them was at Honduras, when a vessel coming in from Jamaica told us that two English men of war were coming directly from Jamaica thither in quest of us. We were, indeed, as it were, embayed, and could not have made the least shift to have got off if they had come directly to us. But, as it happened, somebody had informed them that we were in the Bay of Campeche, and they went directly thither, by which we were not only free of them, but were so much to the windward of them, that they could not make any attempt upon us, 
though they had known we were there. We took this advantage and stood away for Carthagena, and from thence, with great difficulty, beat it up at a distance from under the shore for St. Martha, till we came to the Dutch island of Curacoa, and from thence to the island of Tobago, which as before was our rendezvous, which being a deserted, uninhabited island, we at the same time made use of for a retreat. Here the captain of the brigantine died, and Captain Harris, at that time my lieutenant, took the command of the brigantine. Here we came to a resolution to go away to the coast of Brazil, and from thence to the Cape of Good Hope, and so for the East Indies. But Captain Harris, as I have said, being now captain of the brigantine, alleged that his ship was too small for so long a voyage, but that if Captain Wilmot would consent, he would take the hazard of another cruise, and he would follow us in the first ship he could take. So we appointed our rendezvous to be at Madagascar, which was done by my recommendation of the place, and the plenty of provisions to be had there. Accordingly, he went away from us in an evil hour, for instead of taking a ship to follow us, he was taken, as I heard afterwards, by an English man of war, and being laid in irons, died of mere grief and anger before he came to England. His lieutenant, I have heard, was afterwards executed in England for a pirate, and this was the end of the man who first brought me into this unhappy trade. We parted from Tobago three days after, bending our course for the coast of Brazil, but had not been at sea above twenty-four hours, when we were separated by a terrible storm, which held three days, with very little abatement or intermission. In this juncture, Captain Wilmot happened, unluckily, to be on board my ship, to his great mortification, for we not only lost sight of his ship, but never saw her more till we came to Madagascar, where she was cast away. In short, after having in this tempest lost our four topmast, we were forced to put back to the island of Tobago for shelter, and to repair our damage, which brought us all very near our destruction. We were no sooner on shore, and all very busy looking out for a piece of timber for a topmast, but we perceived standing in for the shore an English man-of-war of thirty-six guns. It was a great surprise to us indeed, because we were disabled so much, but to our great good fortune we lay pretty snug and close among the high rocks, and the man-of-war did not see us, but stood off again upon his cruise. So we only observed which way she went, and at night, leaving our work, resolved to stand off to sea, steering the contrary way from that which we observed she went. And this, we found, had the desired success, for we saw him no more. We had gotten an old mizzen topmast on board, which made us a jury for topmast for the present, and so we stood away for the Isle of Trinidad, where, though there were Spaniards on shore, 
yet we landed some men with our boat, and cut a very good piece of fur to make us a new topmast, which we got fitted up effectually, and also we got some cattle here to eke out our provisions, and calling a council of war among ourselves, we resolved to quit those seas for the present, and steer away for the coast of Brazil. The first thing we attempted here was only getting fresh water, but we learned that there lay the Portuguese fleet at the Bay of All Saints, bound for Lisbon, ready to sail, and only waited for a fair wind. This made us lie by, wishing to see them put to sea, and accordingly, as they were with or without convoy, to attack or avoid them. It sprung up a fresh gale in the evening at southwest by west, which being fair for the Portugal fleet, and the weather pleasant and agreeable, we heard the signal given to unmoor, and running in under the island of Sai blank, we hauled our mainsail and foresail up in the brails, lowered the topsails upon the cap, and clued them up, that we might lie as snug as we could, expecting their coming out, and the next morning saw the whole fleet come out accordingly, but not at all to our satisfaction, for they consisted of twenty-six sail, and most of them ships of force, as well as burthen, both merchantmen and men of war. So, seeing there was no meddling, we lay still where we were, also, till the fleet was out of sight, and then stood off and on, in hopes of meeting with further purchase. It was not long before we saw a sail, and immediately gave her chase. But she proved an excellent sailor, and standing out to sea we saw plainly she trusted to her heels, that is to say, to her sails. However, as we were a clean ship, we gained upon her, though slowly, and had we had a day before us, we should certainly have come up with her. But it grew dark apace, and in that case we knew we should lose sight of her. Our merry Quaker, perceiving us to crowd still after her in the dark, wherein we could not see which way she went, came very dryly to me. Friend Singleton, says he, dost thee know what we are a-doin'? Says I, yes, why, we are chasing yon ship, are we not? And how dost thou know that? Says he, very gravely still. Nay, that's true, says I again, we cannot be sure. Yes, friend, says he, I think we may be sure that we are running away from her, not chasing her. I am afraid, adds he, thou art turned Quaker, and hast resolved not to use the hand of power, or art a coward, and art flying from thy enemy. What do you mean, says I, I think I swore at him, what do you sneer at now? You have always one dry rub or another to give us. Nay, says he, it is plain enough the ship stood off to sea due east, on purpose to lose us, and thou mayst be sure her business does not lie that way. For what should she do at the coast of Africa in this latitude, which should be as far south as Congo or Angola? 
but as soon as it is dark, that we would lose sight of her, she will tack and stand away west again for the Brazil coast and for the bay, where thou knowest she was going before. And are we not then running away from her? I am greatly in hopes, friend, says the dry, jibing creature. Thou wilt turn Quaker, for I see thou art not for fighting. Very well, William, says I. Then I shall make an excellent pirate. However, William was in the right, and I apprehended what he meant immediately, and Captain Wilmot, who lay very sick in his cabin, overhearing us, understood him as well as I, and called out to me that William was right, and it was our best way to change our course, and stand away for the bay, where it was ten to one, but we should snap her in the morning. End of section 16 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox